Pirates, Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, March 22nd. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. LSU has a new coach. VCU has a new coach. We're going to get to that a little later on. But right now, I got Matt Norlander with me, and we are less than 24 hours from the start of the Sweet 16. Michigan, Oregon is going to start things on Thursday night. That's a 7.09 Eastern tip on CBS. That is America's most watched network. It is the network of stars. Norlander, is there a, a particular Sweet 16 game that you are most looking forward to? Is it anything other than UCLA and Kentucky? Because I think that's probably the most common answer. Yeah, we got to move that to the side. That one's by far the best. I have a piece up or going up. We're recording this on Wednesday night. Thursday morning they'll post. I did like a whole huge look at Kentucky UCLA from a number of angles. Interesting storylines, what to expect, some stats to know, all that stuff. It was fun to do and before I wrote it, I went back and I looked at the past 15 years worth of just Sweet 16 games and a few like jogged my memory. And I just tried to see if there was ever a Sweet 16 game that I was more that I could remember being more excited or amped for. There were a few interesting candidates, uh, but nothing that matched this level. I think part of it's because we've already seen these two teams play this year. They're really good. Obviously, there's a number of lottery picks that are going to be on the floor. Big brands, two blue bloods, two teams that have realistic um, hopes of winning the national title this year. They also play really fun brands of basketball. So that one's by far number one GP. And so if you remove that, I think the game that I'm most interested to see is Gonzaga, West Virginia, because like West Virginia is known for its defense, really good, can press. They run 10 guys out there. Gonzaga rates is the best defense in the country, though. And I'm interested to see how few is going to put his guys out there, what kind of lineups he's going to go with, how Nigel Williams-Goss deals with that pressure, and if West Virginia can even score on Gonzaga. I do think Gonzaga will win the game, but I actually did a podcast with our good buddy Sam Vecini earlier, and I had mentioned to him that you know West Virginia got past Notre Dame, and I think a good portion of why it was able to do that was it got out to a big lead very early right off the bat, and it was able to position itself the rest of the game, and Notre Dame was never ever really able to, to truly threaten and overtake the lead. If that happened again, if West Virginia got out like, you know, 17 to six early on, I wonder if they would be able to control what they want to control and put Gonzaga in a hole early. I think that's pretty pivotal. That's the one that personally I am most eager to watch of any of the sweet 16 games, not including Kentucky UCLA. What about you? Disappointed in you right now. I know the, I know the obvious answer Parrish, but I, you know what I'm, if I'm being on the real, if I'm being a, if I'm being on the real, Devin Downey's not going to be on the floor at Madison Square Garden. So I cannot put Baylor South Carolina number one as as much as I want to. The most anticipated Sweet 16 matchup is the Baylor Bears against the South Carolina Gamecocks inside Madison Square Garden. It's a 7.29 p.m. Eastern tip on TBS on Friday night. It is Devin Downey's alma mater against Terry Teagle's alma mater. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Terry Teagle. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. We- you nailed it. God, I hope Jay, what if Devin Downey and Terry Teagle are there? Have you thought about that yet? What if they're GP, we there? spent the past fifteen minutes on the previous podcast talking about that. I know. But have Trust you Trust me, it's my, on my mind. My question was, have you been able to stop thinking about it yet? Because I haven't. Dude, I swear to God, if I bumped into Devin Downey and Terry Teagle at Madison Square Garden, I would it would be like I bumped into the Beatles. Oh my gosh. How the t- Teagles. Yeah. Dude, how much would how much would a picture of me and Devin Downey and Terry Teagle be worth to me a thousand bucks would i be willing to pay a thousand bucks of my own money to get a picture of me devin downey and terry teagle inside the i know you would at half i know time, you would. at half what if they at halftime of the game bring out devin downey and terry teagle have you thought about that 
I have not thought about these things uh, fantasized. I couldn't even <laughs> imagine it. But, but, but yes. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let's for the sake of the podcast, let's let's do this. <laughs> let's take UCLA, Kentucky, that awesome game, and put it over here, and just recognize yeah. that we're not discussing that right now. And let's take Baylor, South Carolina, put it right there with it, while recognizing it's unbelievable. But we're just going to leave it alone for now. Outside of those games. What's the best Sweet 16 matchup? And I actually think you got it right. West Virginia Gonzaga is the one I want to see too because, um, like, uh, that press, it bothered Notre Dame way more than I thought it was going to bother Notre Dame. And what you have to realize is that it's going to bother everybody. Like, you're going to turn the ball over. And it's remarkable to watch teams, how uncomfortable it makes them because uh, coaches say this all the time. Like, you can't replicate that or you can't prepare. You don't know what it's like until you're on the court and all that stuff. This is actually one of the times when it's true. Like, you can't replicate what they're doing in practice. Um, Like, you don't know how to handle it until you're right in the middle of it. And even then, it can become a very difficult, difficult thing. And so um, that's the one I'm looking most forward to. And plus, I'm, like, invested in the Gonzaga story. Like, I don't root against Hugs. He's one of my favorite people in college basketball. But, uh, you know, we talked about this before on the podcast. If there's one thing... Um, one thing that I could have happen in the Cincinnati tournament that I would prefer most to happen, it would be Gonzaga finally go to the Final Four so that people would stop talking about how Gonzaga's never been to a Final Four. I agree. Now, can we play this out in real time? I do not want to stop recording. You're recording this from your hotel. Who is ringing the bell right now? The house housekeeping. Uh, they, they come to do, like, turn my bed down every night. And I'm usually not in here because I would be in studio, but I'm here right now, and I forgot to put the Do Not Disturb sign on. So they're at the Dude, door. go answer it. Seriously, go answer it right now. I'm going to fill right. the time. Are you talking go about, answer you the You talk about Terry Teagle if you want to a I little am. bit, and I'm I'll gonna, be right back. All right, so this is another special moment. I'm so glad everyone could be here when we're doing this because that's incredible. It would also be amazing if it wasn't housekeeping that was, interviewing, that was uh, interrupting GP when we were doing that. By the way, in terms of the stuff on Thursday with Gonzaga, look out for the bigs. I'm interested to see if they're going to keep uh, Shem on the floor and Zach Collins, who was really strong in that game. I I, I think that they can do a, a solid I'm job. Back. All she wanted to do was turn my bed down. I told her that I, I would turn my own bed down tonight, but I appreciated her effort. Very nice. Uh, that's a first for the podcast. A little, look, how, uh, look how deliberate they are. In- like she hung the doorbell three times. Like maybe, but she was kind. Like if I were a house ke- uh, cleaner uh, or a custodian, whatever the proper term is to use here, I would um, I would ring the doorbell one time, and if they didn't answer. I would be like, uh, well, like that's it. I, I, I bet you they have. Well, I bet you they have protocol though. So she rang it once. It was about ten second interval. Rang it again. I think just in case, like you know, you're naked. If you're uh, indisposed, I am naked. You happen to be. I I, I do this <laughs> podcast naked. Okay, that makes two of us. <laughs> and if you were are just coming out of the shower, or if you happen to to be on the john, they ring it three times. And then they enter and they enter, you know, they say what they're going to say and it is what it is. I think there is a specific protocol there. I think that was that was well done by the by the housekeeper. She's a sweet woman. She said she was kind. I told her uh, no, thank you. Um, But I appreciate her asking. And she said, I will see you tomorrow, Mr. Parrish. Very nice woman. That's 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 terrific. Okay, what else in the uh, in the sweet 16 angle here are you looking forward to? Well, Whether it be coaching stuff or, yeah, or actual um, matchups. Well, I love, and we talked about this a little bit the other day. Um, I love the idea that um, I don't love the idea that we have an East Regional that doesn't have Villanova or Duke. Like the we could have theoretically had a, a Saturday, um, or no, that, rather that would have been a, a Sunday, a Sunday afternoon regional final in Madison Square Garden 
between Villanova and Duke. That would have been the number one overall seed and the team projected by Las Vegas to win the national championship. But then, as these things sometimes happen, uh, Wisconsin upset Villanova, South Carolina upset Duke. And so now we've got a regional that looks like it's got uh, the, the least amount of star power. Um, none of those teams were uh, consent. Well, I mean, Bay- here's the thing. The weird thing, Baylor's been like a top 10 team all year, but like people still just don't put respect on Baylor's name. You know, like, yes. uh, like, like we talk about final four contenders all the time. And even though Baylor was like from Thanksgiving through the end of the year, basically a top 10 team all year, like they lost a game here or there, but they were pretty, they bounced back just about every time they were remarkably consistent It's a good basketball team. And yet people didn't, I, I still think, I still think right now people still have a hard time saying, I think Baylor's going uh, to the final four. Um, but outside of those teams, like Wisconsin struggled uh, down the stretch, Florida struggled down the stretch, South Carolina struggled down the stretch. I think you, I think they all leading into the NCAA tournament, Lost more games than they won over a, a certain amount of time. What are you laughing at? As you're doing this, as you're doing it, I'm reading Twitter. Oh my God, Hoops Weiss, God bless him. He has a typo. What happened? I don't know why I find this so funny. What did Hoops do? do? I'm looking for it now. I don't see it. He tweeted this like 30 minutes ago. Baylor has been to. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know. I don't know why I find this so funny. <laughs> I hope this is hilarious because otherwise it's going to be disappointing. His tweet is Baylor has been. <laughs> I can't even get through it. Oh. Baylor has been to fourteen sweet sixteen since two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> oh hoops! Oh my god! Baylor is so underrated. And the replies are amazing. Oh, God. I'm losing it. Oops is the best. You know what? It's a simple typo. What are you going to do, you know? You'd like, is it still up, though? Like, if you make that kind of error, like, you should. That, why is it still up? Why would he do that? Let me go look at this. I want to see it with my own eyeballs. Uh, okay. Oh, my God. It's the right. most underrated program. Baylor has been to 14 Sweet 16 since 2010. That is amazing. I mean, listen, when you think about it, that is amazing. It's just incredible. Oh, my God. I've been saying for a while (laughs) that Scott Drew doesn't get enough credit for the the job he's done at Baylor. We're tweeting this right now. It's too amazing. And I think this is is the the most obvious example. Like, do people realize? (laughs) Do people realize Scott Drew has been to 14 Sweet 16 since 2010? Absolutely not. And you know what? It's a freaking damn shame, and I'm pissed that Drew doesn't get more due because you cannot name me one other coach name or coach. one other program that has been to 14 Sweet 16 since 2010. No. Like, listen, oh, Mike Krzyzewski's the GOAT. Really? Really? <laughs> How many Sweet 16s has he been to since 2010? Is it is it fewer than 14? Because if it is, he ain't Scott Drew. <laughs> Man, like, I, hoops. You can't just you can't just tweet you just can't tweet something like that. Walk away. He just shut. He just shut. He just tweeted it. He was like, "Oh, this is a great stat." Tweeted it and just walked away. He's like eating dinner right now. Done. <laughs> poor, poor guy. He done with Twitter for the night. Who's was like, Who's oh. was like, I got one for you. <laughs> Baylor been to fourteen sweet sixteen since two thousand ten. Sin. Uh. Close the computer, honey. What's for dinner? The GIF response to to one below with the Zach Galifianakis with the with the. Uh, 
the algebra and the equations. Are you seeing that? Like in the yes. response, it's so good. Oh man, that's that made my day. Absolutely made my day. Man. Oh goodness. Man. So anyway, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Baylor to beat South Carolina and get to its twelfth Elite Eight since two thousand nine. And uh, and with that, I think uh, the Bears will prove themselves to be formidable. I think their defense actually will shut down uh, the Gamecocks, who have been hot. But don't get me wrong, Baylor's D is awesome. Yeah, the point I was making before you started laughing got me all confused because I didn't know what I, I did. Like sometimes I say something funny, but I didn't feel like saying Wisconsin struggled down the stretch was that funny. I had no idea what you were laughing at. Um, Wisconsin, Florida, South Carolina—they were all like losing more than they were winning as the NCAA tournament approached. And so uh, there's two lessons there. One, uh, let's just remember next year. Like, stop talking about momentum. Who's hot? It doesn't matter. Right. It just did. Like, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, we've got, like, who would, who was less hot going into the NCAA tournament than Xavier, Florida, and South Carolina? I mean, those teams were strong. They were limping into the NCAA tournament. And, and yet here they all are in the Sweet 16 because they, you know, they played well in a round of 32 game, and, and, and that's the way you advance to the Sweet 16. But um, so, like, Baylor has, has been consistently good all year, and yet people still struggle to actually write Baylor into the Final Four. It's just like, I don't know if I can do it. Like, Baylor, really, in the Final Four? But uh, over a four-month, you know, season, Baylor, uh, out of these four teams, has been the better, the best team, um, at least in terms of, of resume. Now, I know Florida ranks higher in some metrics. Uh, but in terms of actual like quality wins, top 50 wins, all that stuff, um, it is it is the Baylor Bears. And uh, I wrote this earlier today. I don't know if Scott Drew is going to get to a Final Four this year or any year. You know, gr- really good coaches have retired without ever doing it. But I don't know that he'll ever be in a better position than he's in right now. He is the highest remaining seed in the East Regional. He got Duke out of his way. He got Villanova out of his way. It's really set up for him to get there. And either way, no matter what happens, we're going to have, you know, a first-time uh, Final Four coach. You know, either Greg Gard, Michael White, Scott Drew, or Frank Martin is going to the Final Four for the first time. We know that for sure. Yeah, that'll be a really cool thing. I'll be there, and I'll be excited about to write about any of those stories because either you get Mike White, literally the first time he ever gets to the tournament uh, as a coach at any level. He played in it as a as a player with Ole Miss, but. He has never experienced the tournament from the coaching side in basically 15 years. He might go one for one. Uh, guard and that team, um, to have those guys, they'd go to three and four years. Hayes and Koenig and Showalter and Vito Brown, that'd be, they'd be in very rarefied air. Uh, Frank Martin, to have just pulled off what he's pulled off, and when you consider where he came from, I think that would be incredible. And, and then Drew to, you know... After going to 14 Sweet 16 since 2010, for him to finally break through and make a Final Four would really say something. And also, you know, seriously, though, from building what the program was, to I mean, that's just a total culmination story. So any of those four would be amazing. I'm going to take, from a Sweet 16 perspective, I'll take Baylor. And then Florida ranks as like a top three, top four team uh, in the country at Kempom and uh, top seven, eight in Sagarin. I will take the Gators to get past Wisconsin I think that'll be a really good game, but uh, give me Florida Baylor uh, for the regional final on Sunday. You know, on the left side of the bracket, we could really do away with some stereotypes. Um, you know, in in both the East and the West regional, uh, if Baylor were to get to the Final Four, you got to stop it with the Scott Drew stuff. Like, I don't even understand why the Scott Drew stuff still exists. It's insane. Like, he he hasn't been to to fourteen Sweet Sixteen since two thousand ten, but he has been to four. 
Um, that's like four at Baylor. Like that's incredible. Um, it's incredible relative to Baylor's history. It's incredible relative to, to what he inherited. Um, he's been to Elite Eight. He's had a team ranked number one in the country. He's had this team basically in the top ten all year long. And yet still the Scott Drew stuff exists. It's just stupid. Uh, he bounces this thing into the Final Four. Like he, at some point you just got to shut up. Um, and then the other one, Gonzaga is always overrated. Gonzaga never gets – like boom, you could bust that one up too. And so – Listen, uh, there are guys I consider friends who coach some of these teams. And so I would never root against any of them. I, I'd, I'd be happy for any of them. Um, but in terms of destroying some college basketball myths, uh, Baylor and Gonzaga advancing from the left side of the bracket to the Final Four, that would knock out two. That would knock out two of them. It would end the Scott Drew stuff, I think, and it would end the Gonzaga stuff, I'm certain. Yeah, no, it's... It would it would have to and it would and it should and I don't know if Mark Few needs a Final Four to bolster his Hall of Fame resume. I kind of feel like he might. Maybe not though. Um, but certainly, if he were able to do it, um, that would really go a long way. And yeah, and also you mentioned like dealing with the West Virginia press. I mentioned this uh, with Vicini as well. I don't if if Gonzaga loses, I do not want to hear one damn thing about feeling the pressure of being a one seed. Guess what? <clears throat> They've been to plenty of Sweet Sixteens, and when they're faced with the reality of dealing with that just hellish press, you're not thinking about the fact that you're a freaking one seed with one loss, and and the program has been to two Elite Eights before. It's just not something that's going to happen. Uh, West Virginia is also really, really, really good. Um, I would like to see Arizona Gonzaga in the regional final just because I think that has the best potential to be the best possible matchup. I, I predicted it at the start. That's my picks in the bracket, so I'm obviously going to stick with that. Um, I think Gonzaga will win. I think it'll pull away late. <clears throat> I do think Arizona will get a comfortable win over Xavier. Um, now, Xavier's killing of Florida State certainly should uh, should you know give pause to that, but I do like what Miller has there and you know, is, is Blewett going to be able to go off for another huge game? He's been so awesome so far. But house money situation for Xavier, give me Gonzaga, give me the Wildcats in what I would I would just, I think that would be an amazing West Coast uh, final with the final four bid on the line. And uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't have enough to believe that Xavier can pull off the upset there. West Virginia I could see, but I'll stick with the one and the two. Yeah, my bracket on that side has Baylor bouncing to the Final Four and Gonzaga bouncing to the Final Four. So we'll see how that goes. I honestly don't even remember if we've talked about the Midwest and the South yet. Between uh, Terry Teagle, my house cleaner, and uh, Hoops Weiss, um, I'm, I'm confused. But, um, you know, in the, in the Midwest, we do get Oregon, Michigan, Kansas, Purdue. I, I wrote, you know, over at CBSSports.com, it's just like, I, I just don't see Kansas losing in Kansas City. And they're playing 39 miles from their campus. It's not Allen Fieldhouse, but it's going to sound a lot like Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, doesn't mean they're unbeatable. I mean, God, Purdue could catch them, right? Uh, you know, or Oregon or Michigan could catch them, particularly a Michigan team that's, you know, 12 and two in its last 14 games with I believe eight wins over NCAA tournament teams. Like they, they really are playing at a high level right now. But like, how you, how do you pick against Kansas in Kansas City? Like, how do you do that? You can't. You can't. I, I hope that it's a good game. Between Kansas and Purdue, um, I really like that matchup. I they're gonna have GP. I mean, they're gonna have Purdue will travel decently. Michigan, I mean, Michigan will travel all right, but Kansas is gonna be seventy five percent of the building, if not more. Like, no reason to think it won't be. 
just too hard to pick against them. I think Kansas is able to win by in the six to eight point margin with some comfort there. Uh, would love to see Josh Jackson kind of matched up on Caleb Swanigan. Um, he'll probably guard Vince Edwards just as much though. Um, so I like Kansas there. And then I do like Oregon to beat Michigan. Now I, I say that with some trepidation because Michigan has just been, they won in two very different ways in, in the first weekend there. Tyler Dorsey has been awesome. This is almost become, like Tyler Dorsey has been a really good player. He was like an elite recruit that, that Altman got there. But, uh, but he is, you know, this is how you make a name for yourself. Like Tyler Dorsey has the potential to be one of the guys that people just didn't know existed. And if he has another huge game and kind of gets Oregon past Michigan with, you know, a big shot later, just like a 25-point performance, he's averaging like 25 or 27 a game through the first weekend. Um, then, you know, he's a guy that has potential to go to the NBA and all that stuff. I do like Oregon. I like their personnel. Um they, to me, have the two best players on the floor, although Derek Walton, with the way he's playing, certainly has he has a case. I, I fully get that. And uh, Wilson's been awesome as well for Michigan. But I will take Oregon, and I'll take Kansas. I actually think that that region, while they're very entertaining matchups, GP, I actually think that region will have the two most decisive victories. I actually think both those teams will win by comfortable margins. Um, and so let's go down to the uh, South Regional, and that's to me is the, is the best one. It's going to be in Memphis at FedEx Forum. Um, it's crazy, like it's a regional in my hometown. I'm not going to be there at all. I might be able to get back in time for for Sunday's Elite Eight game, uh, which is going to be fabulous, no matter um, who's playing. Whether it's uh, North Carolina against UCLA, North Carolina against Kentucky, Butler against UCLA, Butler against Kentucky. Um, it, I'm assuming it'll be the second game on Sunday because. Uh, the second window is is the premier window, and I don't see any combination in the East Regional that can match any combination in the South Regional. Um, so I would assume that whoever wins on Friday night in Memphis will be playing late afternoon in Memphis on Sunday. Um, and this is one where, uh, listen, Butler's beaten Villanova twice. Uh, they got a win over Arizona. They got two wins over Xavier. They're clearly capable of of beating great teams. Uh, but I also think they're a level below the other three there. And, and I say that while recognizing um, that Chris Holtman has done one of the amazing coaching jobs in college basketball this year. Um, I think people forget because Butler has been a brand uh, for a while now and uh, has now gone to three straight NCAA tournaments. Like Chris has never missed it. You just assume Butler was Butler's good because they were supposed to be good. They actually weren't. You know, they were, they were sixth, picked sixth in the preseason Big East poll. Sixth. And... I think I've said this before on the podcast, but like there was a time where I had early in the preseason, like in the offseason, we had Butler in the top 25 and one. And I ultimately bounced them out at some point in one of the updates. And the reason because Chris was like, I don't know how good we're going to be. Like I'd had that conversation with him. You know, he, he was, you know, he loved his players and all that stuff. But like in terms of like, are we going to really be one of the top 26 teams in America? I don't know. Um, and then the Big East poll came out, and it suggested that Chris, uh, Chris's way of thinking was uh, similar to the, the way of thinking of people who voted in that because they were picked sixth in the Big East, and they've been a top 25 team all year. Um, they're a four seed in this bracket, and they're in the Sweet 16. It has been a remarkable season, but do you agree with me? They're just a, they're just a level below Carolina, UCLA, Kentucky. Certainly. Now the And yet it's intriguing because they – have beaten two teams still standing in the Sweet 16 that are going up against each other in Arizona and Xavier, and then obviously they beat Villanova twice. 
And so they've proven to be, you know, they can beat just about anyone. Um, they are a level below, and I think North Carolina is a really tough matchup for them. If uh, if Chris can get an outright win or if he can keep it close, it would kind of just be another another notch on how good of a coach that he is. Um, keeping Joel Berry in check, Kamar Baldwin's going to have his handful. That should be a very fun matchup there. Um, this is the biggest spread of any game, I believe, seven and a half. Uh, which is big. I could see Butler. I could see Butler covering very easily, but I could also see it getting away from him. I mean, Carolina they kill you because they're great on the boards and they can run. So if you get a lot of second chance opportunities after you're beating the other team down the floor, that's that's why they're so hard to beat, um, and why a lot of people think that Carolina's got a good shot to get to back to back title games. I do like Carolina to win. Um, if I had to pick cover or no cover, I'm gonna say cover. I I, it's a tough stage. Carolina didn't look sharp against Arkansas. I almost wonder if they just whip back to what they were and they just come out and, and roll Butler. But I, I give me like Carolina by about six. And then the other game kind of speaks for itself. Um, if you're really interested in treating that game, definitely try and get my, my post to read when, when it goes live on Thursday morning. Um, I'm just, I'm super excited for it. Um, and I closed with this GP. Let me know if you agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting is that, um, be it if in your office pool or your buddy pool, um, reading about this game, you'll notice that a lot of people are picking UCLA. A lot of people have UCLA to get to the Final Four, and even more people have UCLA to get to the Elite Eight because it's one round sooner. And yet Kentucky is the higher seed, ranks as the better team at Ken Palm, has a much better defense, the talent level pretty close overall. They've got the coach that has much more uh, experience in performing better deeper into the tournament, and yet everyone's riding UCLA. I wonder why that is. Is there this? Uh, here's my theory. I think a lot of people well, let me are. Let me give you my theory first, and then you okay. tell me. Let's see if I can guess okay. what your theory might be. Here's what I would say, um, because you've already thought through this. I'm just off the top of my head. Okay. Um, when UCLA is great, they overwhelm. They like look great, and they look great more often than they don't. At least on the offensive end, like you watch them even in Cincinnati, they're struggling, they're struggling, they're struggling, they're up ten. Like, it just happens. Like, they just boom, boom, boom. You don't know where the game went. Whereas Kentucky has consistently struggled with teams, like, for a while now. I mean, like, they, they, you know, they, they've won a whole bunch of games in a row. But, like, they're in, they're in games with basically everybody. You know, like, they, um, they, they did, they're not too many blowouts, you know, down the stretch for them, I don't believe. Like, they, I don't want to say they struggled because that, that runs counter to, to reality. Like, they struggled. What are you talking about? They won, like, a million games in a row. But it just feels like they, they find themselves down in games where you don't think they're going to be down. They find themselves um, struggling in games that they, they uh, on paper, suggest they shouldn't be struggling in. And so they look a little more vulnerable than UCLA looks vulnerable. I think that's it. I also think that people really want UCLA to be good again. They love the fact that this team is fun and Whereas, and this is just from a people picking UCLA to win, whereas Kentucky is making elite eights year after year practically. It's just something different. And so people are just kind of hoping to will it into existence. Kentucky is only a one-point dog. It can absolutely win this game. I am picking UCLA to win. It's just unusual to see. And Kentucky's performed like a, a you know a borderline top five defense as of late. They've gotten a lot better from what I thought they would be even six weeks ago. Um, so they can definitely win and, and Calipari can totally use like if you want to motivate his players by saying everyone thinks that UCLA can win. There's a lot behind that. I mean, 
Lonzo Ball's father is in the news every freaking damn day. Um, Lonzo is one of the most fascinating players, and it's actually a a rare case where, like, Malik has gotten plenty of pub, and rightfully so, and he's electric, but no freshman has gotten more pub. No player, aside from Grayson Allen, has gotten more pub in college basketball this year than Lonzo Ball. So Calipari actually has some motivational tactics if he wants to even use them in that regard. Super psyched for this game. I have UCLA winning, but there's no doubt about it. Kentucky is capable. Uh, The defense will have to show up. I don't think that, although Kentucky loves to run and Fox in ball, that's an amazing uh, one-on-one matchup, GP. If if UCLA is out early, I just don't, even though they don't have great defense, I don't see a situation where if you're telling me it's UCLA 27, Kentucky 15, I I think that's going to be enough to allow the Bruins to have enough to hang on because they're going to be able to score. I don't know if Kentucky can both stop UCLA to stem the tide and get enough points um, to to overcome a a double-digit deficit, which they've done before, but not against a team of UCLA's talent. Um, That'll be a great one. I I, I can't wait. I'll actually have to watch that on my computer while I'm watching the game in front of me at the Garden. Um, But, yeah, super, super pumped. That is just the best Sweet 16 matchup we've had in years. Um, I was on with Kyle Tucker on his podcast, of course, covers Kentucky earlier uh, tonight. And uh, I told him that uh, I thought uh, if this were a seven-game series, it would go seven games. You know, like I I think these are two comparable teams, not in terms of style or whatever, but in terms of quality. Like I think that, you know, if you think of of teams not by ranking them one, two, three, four, five, but just in groups, like, yeah, these group of teams about the same, this group of teams. These groups of teams about the same. Like, I think Kentucky and UCLA are in the same group. I think they're basically the same caliber team. And so, like, if you made it a um, an eleven game series, I think it would go eleven games. You know, it's um, uh, I, I just think it comes down to who happens, and perhaps this is just basketball in general. Uh, but it's the nature of a single elimination tournament. Like, the team that advances is just going to be the one that plays better on Friday night. Like, like, uh, you know, it's, it's not like one can play poorly and still win because they're so much better than the other team. Like, whoever happens to play better on Friday night will win that game because um, I, I, I think the point spread highlights what I'm saying. They're, they're, they're basically they're pretty even. This is a coin flip situation. I took UCLA um, because I got UCLA winning the national championship. If you're going to commit to that, you gotta get them, you got to have them getting out of the Sweet 16. Um, but I don't know that I feel confident in it. If you're talking about who I feel most confident is going to get to the final four uh, out of the four regions, I would say Kansas, not UCLA, but I got UCLA winning the national championship. The trick is getting out of the South. Like you can reasonably say it's going to be harder to win these two. Than yes. It, than it might be to win the next two. Like ha- getting out of Memphis might be easier than getting out of Phoenix. I mean, that's, that's not crazy. I mean, Entirely possible. Yeah. Like if you, okay. So you, if you've got to play, let's just say if you're, you're UCLA, so you got to play Kentucky and then North Carolina. Is that easier or more difficult than playing, um, what would it be, Kansas and let's just say Gonzaga? Would you rather play Kentucky and North Carolina or Kansas and Gonzaga? I mean, it's all the same. Uh, I mean, whatever. I know. I, it's, you're splitting hairs, but if you made me have to play... Oh, you know what? I would actually say Kentucky-Carolina if it was those specific two. Yeah, but my, my point is usually like, you, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It, I know it, it gets more difficult as you move on. Like your know, your first and second round games are going to be one thing, and then the next ones, the next group should be because some coaches I've heard I've heard say, you know, we think of it as as two game tournaments. You know, we got to win three two game tournaments, and yep. uh, your first two game tournament it should be one thing, 
and then the next one should be a little more difficult, and then the next one should be the most difficult. It's the Final Four. And yet that's not obviously true for UCLA or Kentucky um, because they got to play each other in the Sweet 16. Winners probably get North Carolina in the Elite Eight. And then, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the Final Four. You'd be dealing with presumably Kansas and, and presumably, uh, just for the sake of the conversation, let's just say the one seed uh, that's still alive on that side of the bracket. It's Gonzaga. Um, but there, there is like you, you factor in the, the upset factor. Like we could end up in a situation where it's Michigan and you have to play Michigan in the final four and Florida in the national championship game. I mean, who knows? Uh, so like it, it, there's no guarantee that it's going to be more difficult for UCLA or Kentucky in the final four. If one of them gets there than it is right now, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty remarkable. Like it's, it speaks to the, uh, the power of that South regional. There are three teams there that I think are good enough to win a national championship, but at least one of them is guaranteed to not even get to the Elite Eight. I think if you took those three teams and threw them in the East Regional right now, they'd all be the favorite to win it. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, can I throw a, I'm going to throw a, a non... I'm going I'm to quasi... I'm going to segue here on you, okay? Well, actually, no, nah, it's not really tournament-related. I was going to say... You got any more Hoops Weiss tweets? I don't. Bless Hoops Weiss... That he has since deleted it, by the way. Oh, uh, it might have been my, I, I, I had I quote tweeted and said I was, I had a, a laughter meltdown mid podcast. That was I had not laughed that hard in a number of months. So, a legend in the business and a simple typo just <laughs> induced me to oh boy that was so worth it. I might have burned a hundred calories. Um, so I know you want to talk co- coaching stuff real quick. So. Who gets their program to the NCAA tournament first? Will Wade at LSU or Wade's replacement at VCU, which is Mike Rhodes, who was also previously at VCU under Shaka's staff? Because I'm inclined to say VCU given their conference and what Wade's going to have to take on. Uh, but, you know, the SEC, it's, it's there for the taking. Maybe they'll both get it, you know, their next year within the next two years. Um, I just happen to believe that Wade's a good fit. I still say Kermit Davis would have been the best hire for LSU. Mm-hmm. I'm not backing off that. I, I firmly believe that he could have had a nice decade-long run and been a perfect fit. But LSU goes young. He's Wade's 34, and it's going to be a challenge for him. I can see him succeeding. I think they did a fine job. Um, and I think Rhodes is a great, great, great hire. VCU wasted no time. They lose Will. They know they're going to get Mike. He comes over from Rice. He did a good job this year. So bang-up job by them. Um it's, it's an interesting question. I, I think I would go VCU. I think Mike Rhodes gets to the NCAA tournament before Will Wade gets back to the NCAA tournament, if only because VCU goes every year, no matter who the coach is. Like, it could be Shaka Smart, yeah. Will Wade, doesn't matter. Like, VCU's going to the NCAA tournament. Anthony Grant, Jeff Capel. Yeah, yeah they, they, there's, um, there's definitely so, something. So, like, yeah. Will, Will's going to have to build LSU, whereas, you know, VCU's ready to go right now. Um, and I do echo what you said about, about Mike. Uh, I think he's good. In fact, and I, I always think this is the ultimate compliment – uh, somebody from who works in Conference USA uh, texted me after Mike got, you know, after I tweeted that Mike was going to be the next head coach at VCU, and he said, "I'm glad to get him out of our league." Like that's a, that's a pretty good compliment coming from somebody who is a competitor. Like, get that yeah. guy out of here. Like he, like, you know, who knows? Maybe Rice will hire, a, 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 make a home run hire to replace him, and we'll deal with that if we have to deal with that. But we know this guy is good. We're glad he's gone. Um, so I, I think he's set up to to win there. Um, so yeah, I would bet on I'd bet on on him getting VCU to the to the NCAA tournament again before before Will gets LSU. But I do think Will will, will get LSU. Um, this is interesting though. 
a whole bunch of ways to talk about this because there's a whole lot of uh, different uh, angles um, that, that I find fascinating. I had a coach text me this. Are we ever going to get to the point where we say the VCU job is great and everybody wins at it, but that doesn't necessarily mean every VCU coach is a great coach. I know. We need a few more years. I know. I, well, here, I, here's the point he made, and you, you know, but just for people listening. Yeah. Anthony Grant. I mean, no, let's go back. Jeff Capel, good enough at VCU to get Oklahoma, ends up getting fired at Oklahoma. Now, he didn't necessarily just get fired for wins and losses, but it, it, it ultimately ended with a termination. Um, Anthony Grant, wins enough at VCU to get Alabama, fired. Uh, Shaka Smart wins at VCU, bounces to Texas. I still think he's going to do great things there, but like, we don't have to lie to each other. They just lost 19 games this year. I believe it was 19. I think that's the number. So this 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 coach was suggesting to me like, are we sure? Ever, uh, like these guys went at VCU and we go, oh, they're stars, and maybe they are. He wasn't saying definitively like like Will Wade sucks, and you'll see soon. Like that's not that wasn't his point at all. He was like, just if every time you hire a VCU coach. It, it either doesn't go well or, or in Shaka's case, like hasn't gotten off to the best start ever. Um, maybe that's something to consider. Maybe maybe they're not the reason VCU's been good. Maybe VCU's the reason they've been good. Is that a fair thing to, to wonder about? I think it's fair. I want two more years. Um, or uh, Maybe not. Maybe I want like four more seasons because I want to see yeah. – well, I mean, Capel might just wait it out at Duke and see if he's going to succeed Krzyzewski. So we might not even have a chance to see what else he can do. Um, I want to see Shaka two more years at Texas. Uh, Wade was good at Chattanooga, and that's why he got the VCU job. So give me two years, maybe three of Wade at LSU. Uh, Anthony Grant, I mean, he didn't do well in Alabama. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, uh, wasn't as good as maybe they would have expected. Well, There's something. I mean, he got fired. He definitely wasn't as good. Oh, I know. But yeah. the, in this job, 85% of the time you're hired to be fired. So I understand that. But at the same time, like, you know, a lot of people get fired eventually. But I know what you're saying. First stop gets fired. So I'm willing to listen to that criticism. I just want a little bit larger of a sample size before we get there. If three years from now, Will Wade's had one season above 500, hasn't sniffed the NCAA tournament. Shaka Smart hasn't made the NCAA tournament with Texas and is on the hot seat, um, then I definitely think you can make the case. I just think it deserves a little more time. I do think because of its location and how it's been able to adapt to its new league that VCU is just set up to be, it, listen, it is now a top 50 program in America. And for that school to be that, I mean, that was not thinkable 12 years ago, but it has become that. And I think it will maintain that level under Mike Rhodes, who should absolutely succeed there. And again, for people that might not be aware, he actually coached at the D3 level uh, and did a great job for more than a decade at Randolph-Macon in the area. So he knows the area extremely well. And he is that I think that he is about as good of a replacement as you could have gotten after Wade left. And so the other thing uh, that has been brought up to me as it relates to Will leaving VCU for LSU is that he did something uh, that Shaka refused to do. In other words, Shaka passed on the the, the the LSU job, that type of job, like a hundred times. You know, whether it was NC State or Illinois or Marquette or whatever. Um, you know, he passed on that job, that caliber of job, um, like every year, multiple times a year after he went to the Final Four. And so the question was like, why would Will take that job? Like, you know, like he's clearly not following the the, the Shaka path. 
And there's a whole bunch of reasons. I'm not here to speak for Will Wade. But um, one of them, and I've heard this from multiple coaches, and it's, it's going to be, uh, I think, something worth looking at in the offseason when I have some time to dive in, is that there's this perception in college basketball that it's really starting to close in if you're outside of the power structure. Like, like once upon a time, and I can remember John Calipari saying this a million times, um, you're better off having a – you always have a top three job in your league, no matter what league you're in. Like, don't take the seventh best job in a great league if you can have the best job in a good league. In other words, his, his philosophy was always uh, you don't want to have the Ole Miss job. You'd rather have the Dayton job, you know, because you can win at Dayton. It's going to be hard to win at Ole Miss. This doesn't relate to him because he's the type of guy he'd win everywhere. But, like, that was his advice to, to young coaches who were, you know, on the rise. Like, don't, don't jump for a bad job. Make sure it's a top three job in your league, whatever league you're going to. And now I, I suppose that still might be what some folks subscribe to, but I think less so than before. And the reason is because just look at the at-large bids this year. American Athletic Conference got two. Mountain West got one. A-10 got three, but it might have been two if Rhode Island would have, wouldn't have won the auto. Um, Horizon gets one. NBC gets one. And so – West Coast gets two. West Coast gets two. But it's like, you know, they think that, and I heard this from a couple of different coaches, with the Power Five schools refusing to play anyway, and now a lot of them, um, you know, going to more conference games, like, you know, okay, we play 18 now, let's go up to 20. Like, some of the leagues are about to do that. It, it, if they weren't playing you before, they're not going to play you now. They have no incentive to play you. Because playing you can legitimize you. If they refuse to play you, then they can, can they can point at you and say you didn't play anybody. It's like the Illinois State factor. Well, Illinois State didn't play anybody. Well, like because you wouldn't play them. That's why they didn't play anybody. So, if if you if the selection committee views resumes almost strictly through the scope of quality wins, top twenty-five RPI wins, top fifty RPI wins, top seventy-five RPI wins, so on and so forth, and you can't get those games now. You're not going to be able to get them going forward because uh, what the the big leagues, and I mean the Power Five leagues and, and also the Big East, uh, what they'll do is they'll play each other all the time, give each other top 50 wins back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and, and they won't mess around with you at all so that on Selection Sunday they can scream, you don't have as many top 25 wins as us, top 50 wins as us. And so it used to be you can't take the Virginia Tech job in the ACC. My God, it's Duke and Carolina, Louisville. Syracuse, Notre Dame, Virginia, Florida State. How are you winning? What are you trying to do? Now it's like, forget all that. Okay, fine. You're Virginia Tech. You're never going to be better than Duke and North Carolina. Cool. You don't have to be. The goal is to make the NCAA tournament. Is it easier to try to finish in the top nine of the ACC or the top two of the Atlantic 10 on average? What's easier? And as it relates to Will, what's easier? Is it easier to finish in the top five of the SEC or the top two of the Atlantic 10 year after year after year? I don't know that there's a definitive answer to that question, but I hear more and more coaches operating outside of the power structure starting to think in those terms. I mean, the idea that Greg Marshall, at least according to Jerry Palm, was on the verge of missing the NCAA tournament, and even though he did get in, was still underseated like crazy, uh, this is the reason... Not necessarily that Will jumped to LSU, but that, that somebody like Will might seriously consider LSU in a way that they wouldn't have 10 years ago 
because it, it's all slanted towards the power conferences these days. I'll make this really quick because I do want to wrap up here. Um, and I know coaches listen to this podcast. I would advise against that philosophy that GP just broke down because of this. Because it is my expectation that the selection committee will adjust the way that it evaluates and seeds the field beginning next year. And if it's not next year, two years from now at the very latest. And what that will include was that it will include an elimination of pure cutoff top 25, top 50 wins. And what it will do at the advisement of a lot of people that they brought in to, uh, to analyze schedules and non-conference and conference stuff is it will look at the way that you win and who you beat and road and home, but it will more evaluate. So it gives more broadly and simply speaking, it will give an Illinois state team a lot better and more objective and more fair way to get into the tournament. Even if the big schools want to screw over the little guy and say, we're not going to schedule you the, a more sophisticated model of looking at what Illinois state did versus the rest of the field in fairly balancing out their schedule and opportunity and who they defeated and maybe that involves margin of victory, maybe it doesn't. I do believe that if coaches think that this is the way that it's floating, I would resist that that's going to necessarily happen. Now, you might be right, Parrish. And if coaches want to think this way and they want to drift to traditional big six conferences, listen, those are better situations generally speaking. But my hope and expectation, specifically with the Illinois State chatter and the Wichita State stuff that was an uproar, is that the committee will be a more sophisticated check and balance going forward. Obviously, remains to be seen if that will happen. But that is one reason to, to suggest that you might not totally be done even with the leagues going to 20 games. And you're right, basically every power league is going to that model. Um, yeah, it'll just be, I, I've heard that from multiple coaches. Like, you know, it's, it's getting harder to operate outside of the power structure. I mean, there are places where you can still do it. Dayton, obviously. Wichita State, obviously. Gonzaga, obviously. Uh, Cincinnati, obviously. UConn, despite what happened this year, I, I think it is an obvious example. Um, but, like, if you don't have one of those type of jobs, these, these like, undeniable great jobs, even if they're outside of a power conference, like, those other jobs are tough because you can't get people to play you, you can't get the wins, and it's getting harder to get at-large bids. The committee is, is starting to trend toward uh, the power conferences you know, eating up more at-large bids than ever. I, by the way, I don't know if that's technically true. Like, I haven't done the research on it, but it was certainly true in this particular year, and it is something that's resonating with, with coaches outside of the power structure. Um, uh, again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that is the deciding factor, determining factor for, for Will Wade, uh, but I do believe he saw value in getting to a Power 5 league. He saw value in, in getting to a place uh, where – you're going to play league games against big-time opponents, and you're going to have opportunities, and you don't have to necessarily finish second in your league uh, to get an at-large bid, or even fourth, or even fifth. And um, I think more and more guys are going to at least start to take that into consideration um, as the coaching carousel spins um, both this year and then in the subsequent years, although it should be noted uh, that earlier today Eric Musselman uh, was negotiating a contract to remain at Nevada. He did not technically get an offer from Cal, but he was considered, you know, in the last 24 hours uh, among the, the leading candidates. Uh, but at, at some point, after meeting with them twice in Berkeley, uh, he decided to, you know what, I've got a good thing going at Nevada, at least for now. And there's a lesson in that, too. Um, he's got a good team coming back, probably the Mountain West Conference favorite. And, uh, you know, you can do what Danny Hurley did last year. 
But just put that off. Those job opportunities are going to be there if you keep winning every year. And if you set up to where you think you can be good again next year, maybe it's maybe it's smart to just sit tight for a second. Dan did it, and uh, he bounced it straight into the NCAA tournament and, and actually won a game in the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and, and now Eric, I think, is going to, to do the same thing. I'm not pretending if he were offered the Arizona job, he wouldn't be the Arizona coach right now. Uh, but Cal, uh, he decided that uh, rather than, than continue to pursue that, uh, just sit tight at Nevada, uh, see if he can get Cameron Oliver back in school, and then maybe go win another Mountain West Conference championship back-to-back. But we'll touch on all that another day. For now, and we'll start getting ready for Thursday and Friday's Sweet 16. And remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to get your, your hands on the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're going to talk to you again on Friday. Until then, and take care.